Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. We are here every match day of the World Cup, podcasting after 10 o'clock UK time every night. It is knockout football from this point on, no second chances in the last 16. It's been another wonderful day of entertainment and a great day for Paris Saint-Germain strikers, but not such a good day for Messi and Ronaldo. In the studio with me, casting his eye over all the entertainment, Giles Smith. Hi, Giles. Hi, Natalie. Uh, later on, we'll be speaking to Oliver Kay for a reaction to Uruguay's 2-1 victory over Portugal. Plus, we'll be discussing the latest from the England camp ahead of their last 16 clash with Colombia on Tuesday night. But first, we go to Alison Rudd in Kazan, who witnessed a seven-goal thriller as France overcame Argentina 4-3 to reach the quarterfinals. And Alison, France's talented forwards weren't that impressive in the group stage, but today it was all about killing Mbappe with those two goals, as well as winning a penalty at just 19 years old as well. It was some way for him to announce himself on the biggest stage in world football, wasn't it? Yeah, and he's such a modest guy with it. He came into the press conference because if you're named as man of the match, you have to do a quick uh, media performance in front of the assembled press. And uh, he was sort of asked silly questions about his birth being more as important as France winning the cup in, 90, in the World Cup in 1998 because he was born in 1998. And uh, so he handled it very well. And also his manager did, you know, there were lots of comparisons with the greats. They're saying, isn't he just like the Brazilian Ronaldo? And Deschamps played it down because the last thing he wants now is for the pressure to be piled on a youngster. As you say, he's just 19. At this stage of the competition, he needs him. And if if I've seen France's three games prior to this, and he, you know, he's been adjusting to... To Russia, he's been adjusting to the different systems that Deschamps has been playing. Um, he's adjusting also to the fact that when there's been meddling with the formation and speculation about it, it's been because of him, really. How do we get the best out of Mbappe? And that, I just, you know, at that age, to have that sort of pressure where you know people are having to rejig things and players are getting dropped and then brought back in because they want to get the best out of you. Um, must be quite difficult to handle, mm. but it all came to it all came to fruition today. And I, I just I saw you know on social media a lot of people were slating 
Giroux, you know, the invisible man, someone called him, and uh, I, you know, I forgot he was playing. But just him being there, I think is enormously important. A, because he's got that maturity and father figure-like attitude towards Mbappe, and he sort of just holds the front line together and just, just gives them a pattern and a sense of, of where people know where to run to. He's like a sort of one of those chaps at the airport the guy the plane's in, really. He's, I think he's important in a sort of understated sort of way. But yeah, it was a privilege privileged to see it live Natalie. Yeah I bet and not wanting to put more pressure on Mbappe he does of course become the first teenager to score twice in a World Cup match since Pele in 1958 we all know what happened with Pele but for him to become a better talent does he need to move out of the French League perhaps come to I don't know the Premier League or, or go to La Liga? Well there was, if you recall when and he sort of starred uh, for Monaco when they won their first title for, for 17 years and he shone also in the Champions League and basically he could name his club as long as it had enough money it's up to him where he'd go and there was speculation people were saying oh I think he really liked Real Madrid when he was little so maybe he'll go to Real Madrid and so on and then some people were saying oh well he shouldn't move at all because he's so young and that would be ridiculous he should just hang on and make sure he, he, he learns who he is and without the um, the pressure of a huge price tag on him. And I think he did the compromise thing, which is he stayed in France but moved to a big club. So he's getting, the, I would argue, the best of both worlds. He's getting uh, experience alongside some very fine players indeed. Um, he's getting experience at a club that has high expectations, but he hasn't left home. He's still, you know, he was he was born in Paris. Uh, he played his youth football in Paris. It's, it's home for him. So I think it... I don't think I don't think he's wasted in in France. I think in five years' time he he could be he could be anywhere, and probably then would be the time to say did he plot his career correctly. But I think no. I think I think it's it's easy with hindsight to say oh he's just starred in a in one of the best World Cup games you're going to see. Um, so why isn't he playing for Manchester United? It's not all about that. It's about just progressing your career properly. Charles, mm. uh, it is. What, 20 years to the day that Michael Owen scored that famous goal against Argentina. There was more than a hint of Owen as Mbappe raced at the Argentina defence uh, before being hauled down by Marcos Rojo. Yeah, um, it's just one of those sort of moments in a match that kind of sets it on fire. And no coincidence, I think, that those things that you often see from very young players because they're kind of an expression of youthfulness, really. Um, you know, just tearing through, taking a defence apart taking half the midfield with you as, as well if necessary um, and really coming from players who are just young enough that they haven't really learned yet you, you kind of feel to fear for their shins for one thing and, and for, for a second point that they aren't looking to win a free kick um, halfway through the journey you know it's, it's, it's like an expression of youth which is a nice thing to have isn't it have that youth behind you. Um, but Alison, you mentioned how much of a privilege it was to, to watch Mbappe today. You were also lucky enough to witness some spectacular goals, perhaps two best goals of the tournament so far. Yeah, there was, <laughs> you know, if you do this job long enough, you, you see the same old people and occasionally they hit an age where um, the journalists say, I don't know, I don't know if I'm just getting a bit jaded. I don't know if I don't know if I really get as much joy out of football as I did. And to a man and woman, uh, when 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 those goals went in, everyone went, Oh I mean, it was like it was just like being a child again. It was it was it was astonishing. It had everything really, every sort of goal and 
one of the small elements of what made it a great game was there was always hope for Argentina. You know, there was hope because although they weren't playing well and they were giving too much space to France, I mean, they're pushing up and pushing up. You did feel something else, either magical or freaky, would happen. Unfortunately, though, it is the end of the road for Argentina, Giles. And presumably the end of Diego Maradona on our television screens? Well, unless he stays on, um, who knows, but we're definitely going to miss him. Um, I reckon you could say that this is the World Cup where Maradona has made his biggest impact since 1986, really, in the hand of God. He's so visible on the screens with the celebrating and uh, more particularly the despair. Um, People say it's boring in the corporate areas, but Clearly not when he's sitting in them. Something a bit stronger than prawn sandwiches seems to have been going down. Um, but there's a direct connection, I think, as well, between these shots we've been seeing of, of Maradona this time and those shots of him charging wide-eyed at the cameras um, after scoring at USA 94, um, after which he then failed a random drug test a, a couple of hours later. Um, but it's the same wide-eyed look um, and, you know, I th- apparently FIFA are paying him several thousand dollars a day to be there as an ambassador. Um, and if that's the case, then they've, they've more than got their money's worth. <laughs> we've, we've enjoyed seeing him, Very that's much. for sure. Um, by the time, of course, you're listening to this, Jorge Sampaule may uh, have already been sacked as the Argentina manager. Uh, he had to deny this week that Lionel Messi was running the team. Uh, he'd been in charge for, what, just over a year, Sampaoli, and... This is a man that Gab Marcotti described as a genius on this podcast before the start of the tournament. Uh, Alison, where do you think it all went wrong for Argentina? Well, they haven't got a balanced team. And they are, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche to say it, and I like to be contrary, but I have to follow the the party line, if you like. And, And it does seem that Messi ran the show, not the manager. And that is always a recipe for disaster. It's And it's a self perpetuating thing, it's not entirely his fault. Sampali fault. It's because if you sit in, if you sit in a Sampali press conference, it is a very strange thing indeed. Because every single question is about Lionel Messi. It's even if in a roundabout way, it's a question about the weather. It ends up being, is it the sort of weather that Messi will like? It doesn't matter what the question is. It ends up being what will make Messi happy, and the manager buys into that. He doesn't stop the narrative. He does. He will add. At the end of every sentence, we have lots of other players as well. <laughs> he doesn't really name them or anything. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, 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 it's sort of farcical slightly that, that it's a team that can only function if one player is emotionally robust, if one player is able to express himself, if one player is able to feel he has um, authority. It, it, I mean, that's not healthy. It's just not healthy. And... Um, I mean, maybe it's an impossible job. I mean, there have been plenty of managers who haven't lasted too long before him. So that's a job you can say no to if you're a patriot. Well, lastly, Alison, I mean, the biggest question does surround Messi himself. He'll be, what, 35, almost 35 in four years' time. So do you think there's a chance that he might retire from international football now? Well, Mascherano just retired. Um, wouldn't surprise me if Messi retired and then came back again and then retired again. <laughs> he Actually, likes doing that's that. my prediction because he doesn't. He's done it before, <laughs> and he'll be surplus. He'll do it again, and then his country will say, "No, we need you." And there'll be a new manager, so he'll think maybe maybe this is the start of something new. But uh, it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if if he he does resign if if it's not for, even if it's not permanent. 
<laughs> resign, retire. Players don't resign. Maybe so he's different. He's not like a normal player. He, he doesn't retire. He resigns. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of all of Sunday's games from the round of 16 on TalkSport. It starts with Spain taking on Russia at 3 o'clock. Then the clash between Croatia and Denmark is live at 7 on TalkSport. We are days away now from England taking on Colombia in the last 16. Oliver Kay joins us now from Russia and ahead of that clash, Gareth Southgate says he was uncomfortable with the loving after the first two group games and he has attracted some criticism for his team selection against Belgium. Ollie, has that been fair? I didn't have a problem with it. I know a lot of people did have a problem with it, um, but they, they qualified for the next stage. You want to, to sort of manage the squad as carefully as you can. It's not about hoping to lose or about about hoping to finish second so you, you get an easier route. Um, we can debate the um, sort of pros and cons of that. But I, I thought in terms of managing the squad, he knows he knows which players need a rest. He knows which players need need a game. And I didn't have a problem with that at all. I didn't have a problem with it when Roy Hodgson did it um, against Slovakia in uh, Euro 2016, and that resulted in a a game against Iceland, and we all know how that went. But it's it's not really about what you do in those games when the pressure's not on. It's about what you do when the pressure's on. And the pressure's on against um, Colombia on on Tuesday. And, and I think that that is where people should judge England. I, I wouldn't really fret about Thursday at all. And um, I know some who do and talk about momentum, but it, it, didn't, it didn't bother me at all. It was always going to be a case of damned if you do, damned if you don't, I suppose, for, for Gareth Southgate in England. But Tuesday's game, it is, of course, a knockout. That means the dreaded possibility of penalties. Uh, Jonathan Northcroft has written about England and shootouts and the fact that Southgate has insisted on a sports psychologist to help deal with um, stress. Uh, is it as simple as that, Ollie? Is it purely psychological when it comes to these shootouts? I think it's a technical issue as well. Um, I think you have to be. I think you have to realise that Taking a penalty is not is not the same as just being a good player. I think there'll be many great players who haven't been um, regular at penalties or at penalty shootout situations. I think there've been uh, very many um, players who haven't been great players who have been good at, at, at penalty situations. And I think um, 
Joe, you know, what, what slightly bothers me is that is that we get so hung up in the, in the media on penalties. I think if you look at the last five tournaments, I mean, obviously there was a stage. I'm thinking 96, well, 1990, 96, 98, um, 2004, 2006, all penalty shootouts. Yes, um, and then you look since then, 2008 didn't qualify, 2010 pounded four in the second, you know, in the second round by Germany. 2012, yes, penalties having been completely outplayed. 2014 didn't get out of the group. 2016 beaten by Iceland. 2018, well, we don't know yet, and it could be penalties. But I think the way we talk about penalties, you, you'd be skimmed for thinking that England are beaten on penalties every time. And it's just not the case. I think we need to get the basics right. We need to perform, seize the moment, not completely collapse when things go wrong like they did against Iceland two years ago. Um, I think they just need to perform and show the mentality to win a game and, and, and the qualities to win a game. Um, in the knockout stages, and that, that that bothers me more than penalties. I think I think the um, I I sometimes feel that the, the the obsession with penalties, which is a media obsession, then becomes a sort of self-perpetuating <laughs> obsession for the for, for the players themselves. The thing is, we are obsessed with penalty shootouts. So, Giles, is it the ultimate sporting drama? Well, I think um, obviously it's a, a lottery and a farce and a terrible way to a, a end a football match unless your team wins, in which case then yes, it's the ultimate sporting drama. Um, very little to match the intensity of watching your team win a penalty shootout. And uh, and of course, very little to match the misery of watching your team lose one. But I think I'd always rather watch a penalty shootout on the telly than in the ground. Um, in some ways, there's something about, uh, yeah, I suppose at least you've got a sofa to hide behind. I was going to say, I'd be running away. So, yeah, and yeah. cushions to bury your head in. Yeah. Um, you know, one thinks to of, of David Batty at France 98 and um, ITV's Brian Moore uh, saying to Kevin Keegan, uh, Brian Moore was commentating, the late Brian Moore was commentating, he said to Kevin Keegan, quickly, Kevin, will he score? Um, which, of course, the worst hospital pass in the history of <laughs> football broadcasting because Keegan was hardly going to say no, he's not going to score. He said he would, and, of course, Batty missed, and the rest is miserable old history. Um, they, I mean, it, they do make for great televisual drama, definitely. Uh, Deli Ali, Ollie's been speaking to the media today, and he said, with regards to a penalty shootout, if I'm on the pitch, I'll take one, which is obviously uh, good to hear. But how important is it simply to have Ali back? Well, I think it's really important. I know, I know they, they beat... Um, Panama six one without him, but it was only Panama. And I know, I know, people took um, umbrage at that statement at the time. I think people were slightly giddy at the time. Some people were, and, and, and were, were taking exception to any sense of lads. It was Panama, but it, it was Panama, and they were awful. England scored five times in the in, in the in the first half. Ruben Loftus Cheek showed that he is a, a talented young player, a very promising young player, but I I, I would be much happier playing Delhi Alley in in the um, in a knockout game against Colombia. I would still even have doubts about Delhi Alley in terms of mentality, in terms of doing it in a in a game like this and, and whether he's ready for that kind of pressure, whether whether he's ready for for this kind of stage. But I would say that about a whole lot of them, really. I mean, it's 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 um, a young team. Let's see whether they're ready. Let's see whether they're ready to 
show the mentality to, to win it. I, I really hope, um, I really hope they do. But it's 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 early for a lot of these players. Um, so let's see. Paul Joyce has uh, written for the Times about Jordan Henderson and how influential he's been in Russia so far. Specifically, the role that he plays in organising his teammates and giving out orders. How much of a leader is Henderson for you, Ollie? I think he's extremely good at that, and and um, I mean I've I've watched him a lot at Liverpool over the last well the what would it be the seven years he he's been there, and I think he's grown a lot as a player. He's grown a lot as a personality within that team. I think he he is the best player England have in terms of setting that rhythm in midfield. I would I would worry slightly that England's midfield might be overrun because they don't have too much defensive nice in there. But he he is a guy who who knows how to pass it at different times of the game, depending on whether his team's on top or, or not. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a clever player. He's got that leadership quality. Um, I think he, he, he is very important for England. Well, England and the fans will be hoping they are smiling come Tuesday night. And Giles, you're sort of intrigued by the way fans have been celebrating, both here and in Russia. We're seeing a lot of beer chucked in the air at England goals. I mean, that's not a what a waste. <laughs> I know that's not a completely new thing, but it does seem to have slightly come of age at this tournament. There's some shots from fan zones and and bars um, of of everybody chucking their pint in the air um, as a goal goes in, and of course, poor old Gabby Logan covering it for the BBC got um, got drenched. It just seems to be a funny moment for it to come of age because, of course, the possibility of a VAR review um, means that you could chuck your beer up as the goal goes in and then, of course, the ref calls it back and the goal hasn't stood and then you're out of ammo for when the real goal happens. Um, but we're seeing a lot of it. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not sure. It's definitely a waste of beer, as you say. Yes. Have you been soaked yet, then, by beer, Ollie? It's very hard to, it's very hard to soak a, a, someone in beer when they're in a press box because it's um, it's right at the back of the stand generally and, and to do that you'd have to have a beer and chuck it backwards and I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners and, and probably a lot of people in general would have a view of the press that, that they deserve to have beer chucked at them and uh, with, with great force and, and perhaps with you know perhaps perhaps recycled beer at that but it's um, <laughs> but it's uh, like, like it was a, like it was an Oasis gig in 1996 but it's um, but no don't wait to drink The Game World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We'll be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by Times statistician Bill Edgar. Last time out, we asked you, at which World Cup were three of the four quarterfinals decided by penalty shootouts? The answer was 1986. France beat Brazil, West Germany beat Mexico and Belgium beat Spain all via penalty shootout. Uh, The only match not settled by penalties was England's 2-1 defeat to Diego Maradona's Argentina. I don't know if you can remember that one. Hmm. Our teaser today is a double header. The 2002 World Cup was held in two countries. Which country staged the opening game and which country hosted the final? Hmm. Tune into our next podcast to find out the answer. There was another enthralling last 16 tie in Sochi as Uruguay hung on to beat Portugal 2-1 thanks to a double from Edison Cavani. And uh, Ollie, Uruguay are many people's dark horses for the tournament and they now have a major scalp in beating the European champions Portugal and progressing to the last eight. They've 
come into form well. They, they're very efficient going forward. They're extremely sort of dogged in the middle of the park. They defend brilliantly um, with, with Goda and um, Jimenez. And it's, you know, they, they look like a team who, who could or, 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 or could or will reach the reach semi-final. I mean, they reached semi-final back in um, 2010. And I, I, think they, I think they look like a really competitive, dogged team that are very good at this, at this sort of knockout football. We now know it's going to be France against Uruguay and Nizhny Novgorod in the quarterfinals on Friday afternoon. We've seen how devastating France can be going forward, but also how, and as you've already said, dogged defensively Uruguay are. It's going to be a fascinating encounter, isn't it? Yeah, it really should be. I'm, 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 um, I'm going to be there on uh, on uh, on Friday, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I, th- I think the the way it was originally built, as it, or, or it could be Portugal, Argentina, it could be. Um, it could be Ronaldo versus Messi, but I, I think I think France Uruguay will be a will be a terrific game. I mean, it's um, I, I think both teams have uh, have done well so far in the tournament without particularly setting a light, without particularly you know setting a pulse raising or, or you know winning too many hearts until until France today. But I think that will be a really good game on 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 Friday. I, I would expect France to be maybe to take the initiative in the game or try to take the initiative in the game, but, but they won't be taking too many risks. They won't be sending their fullbacks bombing forward and maybe it'll be a little bit cagier than we saw from either team today. It was a fantastic first goal for Uruguay. Edison Cavani and Luis Suarez with the longest one-two ever. Uh, Cavani, crossfield ball to Suarez, who then whipped the ball into Cavani, who scored with his face, we think. Uh, a very handsome face, Charles, would you say? Yeah, I, I always think that Cavani looks like he's... Um broken loose from a Greek frieze or something. It's like a, <laughs> like a kind of human Elgin marble. Um, it's a very handsome face, but it's good to see him risking it at the far post. <laughs> Presumably it's insured. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, but it's also, that's the other thing about Cavani, when he's not doing anything, you wonder if he's just a handsome face, but then you see him today and realise that, actually, what a striker he is as well. Yeah, there's more to him than just that handsome face, basically, Giles. Um, but Cavani hadn't scored in the first two games. He cut a very frustrated figure in the third game against Russia, but did eventually score late on. Um, two goals tonight, and it just shows how important it is for strikers to get off the mark, doesn't it, Ollie? It does, and, and, and when we talk about when we talk about strikers and and how well they do in tournaments, just one that springs to mind here is Gary Lineker back in 1986. I mean, he had a slow start to that tournament; didn't score the first two games. England, England didn't score those first two games, and then the goals started flowing. He scored a hat trick in the third game, and goals started flowing. Go to you know, look at Paolo Rossi in 1982. I think I think he didn't score till the knockout stage, and then the goals come and. Sometimes you know it's about it's about hitting form at, at the right time, about peaking at the right time, and it's a very strange thing with with footballers and World Cups because they're not really conditioned to sort of peak performance-wise in in late June, early July. But um, Cavani, uh, after a slow start to the competition, seems to have um, found his rhythm at last. And and yeah, I mean you you wouldn't you wouldn't bet against him, um, you know, being one of the stars of the tournament. By contrast, Cristiano Ronaldo yet to score in a World Cup knockout game, and he's going to have to wait another four years, Giles. Yep, it all went a bit flat, didn't it? It started so promisingly for him, and everyone thought this was going to be the, the Cristiano Ronaldo um, tournament, and then it, it went away. But I don't know what to what to say. Maybe we have to blame the goatee. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anything else. Uh, 
he was really fantastic in that opening game and then the goatee began to sprout and um, and it all went awry. Um, there's a lesson there, maybe. Maybe. Don't have the fluff, perhaps. But, um, Ollie, how do you assess Cristiano Ronaldo's tournament? I was there in Sochi for that first game where, where he scored a hat-trick against Spain and um, I, I thought if you, if you looked at that game, I mean, it, it wasn't one where you were left praising his, his creative or technical brilliance throughout the game. I think I, I think he was... It, what that game said to me is that he is a is a player who is capable of seizing the occasion, seizing his his opportunities within the game. I mean, it was a penalty. It was then a, a sort of mishit shot which De Gea fumbled in, and then it was that incredible free kick. He didn't do an awful lot in open play that that made you think that that he was ready to dominate the tournament or anything like that. But I think there are lots of people who like to think that. It's a competition between Messi and Ronaldo to be the greatest player ever, and and and, uh, and that it can only be decided in, in a World Cup. And I think what today shows is that you can't decide these things on a on a World Cup. It's very hard to do in those games what they do for for Real Madrid and and, and Barcelona. And I think I feel that they are both past the best, and yet both enjoying brilliantly. They still are capable of utterly brilliant things that are beyond the um, grasp of of any other players on the planet. But those games today showed that trying to carry the, the hopes of a national team in a World Cup is, is an incredibly pressurised situation at the best of times, never mind when those teams are not top class. Four more teams enter the knockout stage on Sunday. First up, it is Spain, who take on Russia in the Lizhniki Stadium. Spain have yet to hit top gear, but they'll be aiming to do just that against the hosts who will hope they're spurred on by the home fans in Moscow. And then it'll be Croatia and Denmark's turn to see who will progress to the quarterfinals to face either Spain or Russia. Croatia have impressed so far at this World Cup, topping their group by winning all of their uh, three games and conceding just once. Denmark themselves are also unbeaten from the group stage and are looking to reach the World Cup quarterfinals for only the second time in their history. England will be looking to reach the quarterfinals for the World Cup for the first time since 2006. There was a lot of debate about how England should have approached their game with Belgium on Thursday. And uh, interestingly, Giles, you kept an eye on the game in a slightly different way to most. Yes, I watched on Sky Sports News, um, which um, obviously they don't have any pictures of the World Cup on Sky Sports News, but they are covering it as thoroughly as they cover everything else. Um, I was just intrigued because there was that fantastic moment in the European Championships last time out in France when England were playing Iceland and Sky Sports News covered it as they always do. They have someone in the studio watching it on the telly telling you about it. On that occasion, they got Steve McLaren in, and uh, there was just this wonderful moment. England had just equalised, and Steve McLaren went into a long sentence about how this was just great. England were going to recover from here. And in the middle of that sentence, of course, Iceland scored again. And it's just the most beautiful crestfallen look that Steve McLaren gives. Uh, you, know, you could see just how much it really meant to him that this thing had gone wrong in front of his eyes. Um, and it was a very hapless moment for him and I suppose I was rather cheekily hoping to see something as kind of classic, a piece of TV gold to match that. Um, didn't in fact. They had Stephen Warnock on, the Liverpool player, and again watching it on a screen Meanwhile, lots of coverage of the other big news stories. It was a very strange sensation to be watching it and to know that everybody else was seeing the pictures. <laughs> but it's not weird watching someone watching 
a game, basically. <laughs> yes, it is weird. But of course, it's something that we've just become kind of inured to because of, of Soccer yeah. Saturday, which is just a sort of brilliant piece of television. I mean, yeah. extraordinary. If you said to people, we're going to sit a bunch of people down and you're going to watch them watch, watch <laughs> football on the telly. But of course, Soccer Saturday turns out to be amazingly prescient. It's, it, it, it predicts Gogglebox, which yeah. uh, again is, a, is, a, is another programme in which basically you're watching people watch it. There is something fundamentally mm. entertaining, clearly, about watching people watching telly. We always have to have a little chat, don't we, about the pundits being used on BBC and ITV. And one that continues to stand out in an obvious way, Giles, is Ian Wright. He's just been absolutely on fire. I mean, some of the shirts have looked as if they were literally on fire. Um, uh, It's just been a romp through his wardrobe from the beginning of the tournament onwards. Every single match, he seems to find some new shirt to delight us with. Um, But I'm hearing that he does a bit of punditry duty for Fox. Yes, he he moonlights for them, yeah. He moonlights for Fox, and apparently on Fox he's not wearing the... uh, he, He appears... It's a bit like Clark Kent and Superman. He appears in a completely sort of sober outfit for Fox and only does the bright shirt thing for for ITV. He must be responding to the studio, I guess. The studio kind of accepts and demands maybe even a a bright Mm. coloured shirt. Yeah, maybe for Fox he is Ian Wright and ITV he's righty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jürgen Klinsmann made his first appearance of this World Cup on the BBC today. He's an old favourite that's returned, isn't he? Yes, he did. Uh, the lineup on the BBC was was Klinsman next to Drogba, Shearer, and Lineker, which you know you have to say is a bit heavy up top, maybe. But that's that's quite, that's quite a striking partnership they got there. Klinsman's been part of BBC World Cups um, for for ages now, except for the one year, you know, two thousand and six, when he was doing the much less important job of managing Germany. <laughs> Um, but it's interesting, presumably they, they brought him in at this stage just as the knockouts start because they thought this would be the time we'd all value a German perspective uh, on what was happening. Of course, it just so happens that um, they're out. Guess what? We don't need a German perspective particularly. <laughs> but uh, good to have him on. I'm sure he'll have things to say about other people too. Yes, and the England-Columbia game is on ITV and uh, there's some troubling stats for England fans on that front, isn't there? Yes, well, apparently, uh, if you go back to 1996 and take all of the tournament games that England have played on television, when they've been on ITV, England have a win rate of 26.08%. When they've been on the BBC, they have a win rate of 62.5%, which is obviously considerably better. So... The Columbia game is indeed on ITV. No pressure, Mark Pugach. <laughs> I was going to say, if I wasn't nervous as much as I am already, I'm now going to be even more nervous knowing that it's on ITV and England have such a poor win rate when it's shown on ITV. Oh, Fingers crossed for a, an England win, though. Uh, that is it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Giles Smith, Oliver Kay and Alison Rudd. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. Uh, if you're listening on Sunday, today is the last chance to subscribe for just a pound a month for three months as the digital subscription sale ends at midnight tonight. Search for The Times sale for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. And we'll be back on Sunday night in the company of Matt Dickinson and Jonathan Northcroft. We'll see you then. The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.